0: Do you want to start a thriving real estate career but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Rundown. You know, there's a lot of things that we're t- dealing with right now and there's a lot of turmoil in the market and I thought that was really inappropriate. Place for our next guest to join us because there's a lot of things that a lot of people think they know, but they don't really understand or they don't know. And they're not utilizing some of what I think are the best tax strategies on the planet. And so I want to bring on Jason DeBono, New View, and have him talk more about what he's doing in self-directed IRAs and how we can make that a more prevalent part of your investing portfolio. And with that, how you can get Better returns because you're doing it in a tax efficient way. So my guest today is Jason DeBono. Welcome to the show, Jason. It's great to have you on. Hey, Shannon.
2: Good to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, Jason, we had um, we had the opportunity to, to do a podcast a couple months ago, uh, and we talked before the show for quite a bit. Uh, but tell tell my audience a little bit about where you're at, uh, what you're doing, where you've come from. Kind of give us your your three minute overview of your resume.
2: Sure. In fact, to this week of recording, uh this is my 18th anniversary with NewView. Uh company is celebrating its 20th year. So I started uh in year 2 and you know, I look back 18 years ago and and the self-directed IRA business was just so different. We do exactly what we do today as we did then, but you know, the exposure, the understanding, the fact that people are using self-directed IRAs as a tool. Um, but yeah, 18 years ago I started uh you know, in sales and marketing, giving presentations, helping people understand how it worked, what it was, why they needed it, what kind of tool it was, the tax incentives—all of the things that 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 you know uh, listeners may be moderately familiar with—and uh, yeah, we've grown since then. We had uh, $65 million uh, of assets under custody when I started, and uh, we're about 2.2 billion uh, today. So, been been uh, a fun ride. Gotten to see uh, and live vicariously through you know our clients and kind of see trends and uh, you know investment. Uh, strategies and structures. And yeah, it's been a, a pretty cool process.
1: So let's, let's take this from the basic elementary level. Why, what is it, uh, an IRA? Uh, what are the different types that there are? And what is the difference between an IRA and a self-directed IRA?
2: Yeah. So if you kind of look at, at an IRA at a glance, an IRA is a retirement account really for people to save outside of 401ks. That's really why Congress created um, IRAs back in the 70s. So they wanted to make sure that if if you had a way to put money away in a tax advantage vehicle to save for retirement. So the the very simple premise is the IRS will give you a tax benefit in some way, shape, or form, as long as you commit not to touch the money till six till you're 59 and a half. That's the trade-off. Um, but an IRA is designed for, for you to save for retirement. The difference between a self-directed account and a, a you know, we refer to as a, a non-self-directed retirement account is the fact that you can buy whatever the IRS allows, including things like real estate. So what makes us unique or what sets us apart from the Schwab or Fidelities of the world is that our clients are buying real estate, investing in syndications, doing private loans with their retirement money. So they get all the tax benefits and they get to keep that money uh, invested in the assets that they know and understand.
1: So when we talk about self-directed IRAs, you know, there's, there's some legality there because it's your money, but it's not really your money, right? I mean, it's yours, but like you mentioned earlier, the IRS said, okay, we'll let you have it tax-deferred or tax-free if you agree not to touch it. What are some of the stipulations I want to buy, you know? Uh, I want to buy real estate or I want to buy, you know, gold collectible coins or or I want to do some of these things. What is it that, what is the process that I got to go through to get from my IRA that's sitting over at Schwab to something that I can, that I can really get into real estate with and do something that I want?
2: Yeah. So if you think about, you know, what an IRA is, an IRA is a tax advantaged investment vehicle, Right it's earmarked for retirement, but it's a tax advantage investment vehicle. That's what they are today to all of us. The IRS is concerned that if it's tax advantage, they put a fence around that because they don't want people violating the rules or integrity of that tax. That's what they're after, right? So that what they're saying is, you know, Shannon, you've got a retirement account. You said you won't touch it till 59 and a half, and we said we won't tax you, right? Great trade-off. Right. But furthermore, they say, okay, Shannon, In order to maintain that tax benefit, your investments all have to be at an arm's length. So when you invest, you have to invest passively and you have to invest really with unrelated parties. There's some opportunity there, but for the most part, it's got to be unrelated parties. And the reason for that is if my IRA could buy real estate and I could buy it from whomever I wanted, what would stop me from buying a piece of real estate in my IRA that I personally own today? Well, I would certainly sell it to my IRA at a discount, so I get a nice tax loss on my tax return, right? And now my IRA has this property it paid 50 cents on the dollar for that's 100% tax-free. And you could see how easy it would be to commit tax fraud. So the rules are really centered around tax integrity, and everything has to be completely arm's length and passive for it to be permissible as a general rule inside an IRA.
1: It's funny they want arms-length transactions for the citizens but the senators don't seem to have to deal with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, well they're
2: they're on a different retirement program all uh, all
1: together. Exactly uh, enough. Exactly. So the reality is uh, if I wanted to buy a property, I'm not going to be entitled on it. That's
2: right. You're because you're not the buyer, right? Your IRA is the buyer and it's important that people kind of think about this. The IRS wants to know from a tax standpoint what was the behavior? Well, if, if I just put Jason on it and then decide later if it was me or my IRA, obviously the winners, right, are all going to go in my IRA and the dogs are all going to go personally. So the IRA right. says you got to declare it from day one. So if you want to own this in, in your name, Shannon, personally, and, and treat it like a personal asset, Shannon's on the title. If you want to own this in your IRA and keep it shielded from your tax return and shield any taxes per your, your IRA, then it's got to go in, the, in Shannon's IRA's name. And so they're very clear and adamant about that.
1: So once we've done that, um, what, are, what are the differences as far as how things are treated? I, I, I bought a house, uh, a rental property in my IRA. I've got a property management company that's managing it. What happens to all the rents? What, what, what is the protocol with all of that? So much
2: like a dividend stock, right? dividends in an IRA go back to the IRA because the IRA owns the stock, the stock issues a dividend, and as a result, the money goes back. It's no different in a retirement account for real estate. If my IRA buys a piece of property, my IRA collects all the income, pays all the expenses, all flows in and out of my retirement account. Now, the property manager is facilitating that, but everything's going in and out of the account.
1: So, so it all seems pretty simple, but what are some of the real tax savings or the tax implications? I mean, so I I bought this property for $300,000 and it's been in my IRA and it's been a rental property for 15 years. And now I want to sell it. Do I have to make you guys sell it? Do you guys hire the real estate agent? What happens in that particular portion of the transaction? So mechanically a self-directed account
2: is driven completely by the account holder, right? So, If you decided what house to buy, you decided and negotiated how much to pay for it. You decide how long to hold it. You decide if you want to rent it, who to rent it to and for how much, right? You are the sole decision maker. When it comes to selling the asset, you're still the sole decision maker. You decide how much to sell it for. You decide who you sell it to. If you want to use a realtor, you decide who's going to be that that listing agent. So the beauty is you're not relying on new view, right? Or, Or me for anything other than the custody and safekeeping of the account. I'm here to help keep your IRA and IRA. As far as all the investment discretion and decisions, the beauty is all of that goes right back to you. Uh, so we're not involved in the decision-making process. We're just involved in the execution process.
1: And, and that's what makes it a, a really simple, seamless process uh, because all I'm doing is directing you as I would an employee or or a contractor that, hey, do this and then you do it. Yep. What are What are some of the, the things the misconceptions that people have when it comes to self directed iras and what they can do with it or how difficult it is i mean what are the main things that you're seeing in your marketplaces barriers to people using them more
2: well i think the first one is is just knowledge and understanding right people you know they they've been told they got to use their retirement money to buy stocks bonds and mutual funds set it and forget it and it'll just work out in their favor when they retire and I think if you look at at the wealthiest of of wealthy or just the 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 whatever line you want to draw in the sand of what you would consider someone wealthy, ninety percent of the people above that line's portfolios are going to be real estate based. So right. you know it's it's a the biggest thing is is knowledge and experience. The second thing is is there's a lot of people that aren't willing to go make investments. They need the market. They need mutual funds because they don't want to go do the underwriting. I mean, you know, Shannon, we've we've known each other for a while and, you know, you're looking at a hundred deals before you do a deal, right? Right. You know, people don't want to do that. They just want to pull out a menu of stocks and bonds and mutual funds and and type in a couple ticker symbols. The last thing is there is a lot of misconception that it's complex or that there's a lot of rules. And yes, there are rules. The IRS has to govern this stuff because of the tax benefits, right? They have to fence that tax um, opportunity, but the rules are so minimal. And is, uh, the only time that we find clients that run up against the rules is because they want to do something that's prohibited. And that's when they kind of throw their hands in the air and say, well, you know, well, why would I do this? I'll give you a quick, if I can take just a minute, I'll give you a quick story. I had a client years ago. A guy called me and he said, "Hey, I want to buy property in my IRA. I found this rental property and uh, I think it's a great deal. I can buy it, you know, way below market, and it's right by a university and it'll rent out no problem. I'm Like, great, you know. He's like, so I can go buy that. I can sell my stocks and go buy that in my IRA. And I said, yes, you know, that's something that that you can do. And he said, and when my daughter gets to college, she can live in the the place. And I said, unfortunately." everything you want to do is good, but your daughter can't live because there's no way for you to to get a fair market rent from your daughter. That's not arm's length. And he paused and he said, well, then why would I do this?
1: (laughs) I knew that's where you're going. I knew that's where you're going. People will self-sabotage over the littlest things, right? I mean, this this thing is saving thousands of dollars a year. It's making money. It's in a tax sheltered environment. And over what? $600 a month in rent for four years, he blows the whole deal up, right? You got it. Yeah. But you know, I I heard you say that people just aren't educated enough or they just want the easy button. What you just described doesn't sound like it's a difficult experience going through this and and converting it to a self-directed IRA and buying real estate. Do you think it's just overall general laziness that people just want the easy button on everything and they're they're not willing to put in a little bit more effort that it comes with? Real estate?
2: I hate to say yes, because um, I think that's painting a pretty broad brushstroke. But I, yeah, I haven't done this for 18 years. I talked to countless people that say, this is incredible. It's amazing. I wish I knew about this sooner. But they'll never actually pull the trigger. So, yeah, you know, th- those are, um, yeah, unfortunately, those are, are folks that just want
1: the easy button. So m- would you say that most of your clients at NewView, most people that are involved with self-directed IRAs, are they involved in alternate investments outside the stock market?
2: Yeah, 99% of the assets we hold is all outside of the stock market.
1: And and that's simply because they found a better way that provides better returns than the market. Uh, they have some control over it. They can buy and sell as they want. They can, you know, they, they have a lot more, they have a, they have a lot more control, but it's also they're invested in real assets. I mean, you've got stocks uh, and bonds that, I mean, that's a piece of paper, or you've got real estate, and other alternative investments. I mean, could you buy a classic car? It was a showroom quality car. Could you buy that in your self-directed IRA? So the only assets that
2: are prohibited, and, and the answer, the quick answer is no, the only assets that are prohibited uh, are life insurance and collectibles. And and to, to okay. answer your question specifically, the issue is, if you think about that collectible car, its value is whatever some, the highest bidder is willing to pay. And so when you think about it from a taxation standpoint, if there were ever a tax liability to be attached to that car, how would the IRS ever be able to to either assess a tax or defend against it? Whereas if there was a taxable event against a piece of property, right, there's a fair market value that's attached to that. You could argue maybe it's a little higher, a little lower, but there is a way to get to a fair market value, whether it be through a cap rate or whether it be through price per square foot. You don't have that luxury in, in things like any sort of collectible. So anything numismatic is, is prohibited.
1: So, but you could invest in startup companies or other things like that because yeah. inevitably at that point, you're, you're part of the seed round or you're part of a stock option, pre-IPO, those kinds of things. But, uh, you know, you would be able to take advantage of things that wouldn't necessarily be offered on uh, the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Private equity is about a third of our our client's portfolio. It's a, a okay. huge market. You can invest in your friend's, you know, landscaping business. So you can invest in into the next, you know, tech unicorn. Um, you know, hopefully it's the latter. Um, but right. you know, that's right. the beauty of private equity. It's it's whatever you think is is has legs, and sometimes it does and you get paid off really well, and sometimes it doesn't, and and maybe it doesn't perform as well.
1: Sure. And the reality is if I experience losses in my in my IRA, those really don't translate to my real life, right? I mean, there's because it's a tax protected thing, is that something that if I, you know, I, I buy into the tech unicorn and it really is just a donkey with a cone on his head, and I wind up losing money in it. Does that can I carry forward that loss like I would on my normal books and, and use that when I go to take money out after after retirement?
2: No, and that's something that that you want to be very aware of, because you don't have the downside, but you also don't have the penalty on the upside. So if you buy something personally and you lose money, yes, you carry that forward and somewhere you get some redemption for a bad investment. Right. The 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 contrary is when you make money in your personal name, Uncle Sam's going to come asking for a piece of it some way, shape or form. In an IRA, you give up the losses because you've got no tax to apply them against. So, you know, if you're winning in your IRA more often than you're losing, uh, you could take a dollar in a Roth IRA, invest it and make a billion and pay zero tax. That's the beauty. Um, But you can't invest a billion that becomes a dollar and write off that
0: that,
1: uh, $909 million loss, unfortunately. Right. This is why Peter Thiel was such a genius when he did what he did with PayPal, right? Yep. I'll put that into an IRA. So so give me some of the reasons why someone would want to buy real estate through their IRA uh, rather than hold it personally. So, you know, the
2: answer to that question is in the eye of the beholder. And I say that because when it comes to taxes, the, the taxes are personal. So you got two points of comparison. So the first thing is, if I, if I wanted to invest, let's say a $200,000 property. If the only place my money that I have 200 grand or accessibility to buy that property is my IRA, then I need to compare that property to what my IRA is currently doing. So if I can buy the real estate and think I can make 20%, and in order to do so, I got to sell a stock that's making me 5%, that's an easy decision. But if I have the same 200 grand sitting in a bank account as well, and I can either write a check and buy it personally or write a check and buy it in my IRA, The real question becomes, what's the asset, what do you intend to do with it, and then what what bucket does it fit better in? If you're going to do anything short-term, those always fit better in an IRA because short-term has the highest capital gains tax rate, and so anything in an IRA is going to automatically trump that, so that's beneficial. If you're going to buy it and hold it long-term then you may consider your personal account for it because you can take some depreciation and some write-offs and you can kick some of the tax gain down into long-term capital gains. When it's all said and done, good assets always have a home in an IRA because you'll never be upset to buy a good asset 100% tax-free
1: ever. Right, right. So then, then you know, people use this, they use this vehicle and everybody, you know, always says, yeah, you know, I'm investing in my IRA for retirement and then you know what happens when we hit retirement? If we've if we've used a Roth uh, IRA and we've invested, you know, we've been tax free on the inside uh, on going into it, right? With with a Roth, and it's grown. We put in you know all our money all these years, and now we have five million dollars in there. The question always comes up, of okay, well, if it's inside my IRA, I can't have access to any of it. I can't use any of it for personal items, so I can't even borrow against it. What, what is the what is typically happening when you come to that and now you're at retirement age and you're taking money out? What does the IRS say about it at that point? Once you hit 59 and a half,
2: you're free to withdraw your, your account. A Roth IRA is tax-free. You can take whatever you want, whenever you want after 59, 100% tax-free. Part of that is tax planning and tax strategy. But you know that's what you're working towards. I mean, yes, you, you can't use it. You can't borrow against it. You can't live in the properties. You can't leverage for your own personal benefit. You can leverage inside the account. But that's only up until 59 and a half. After 59 and a half, it's it basically the, the chains, if you will, of, of, of that, that lock that money down and come off. So yeah, you can withdraw it at any point. Now, if it were me and it were my Roth IRA, that's the last money I want to withdraw. Because so, you know, if you turn 60 and you're old enough to withdraw, you don't have to. You can keep growing that money 100% tax free. So I'd much rather burn my personal accounts to zero before I started taking out of my tax free accounts for, for expenditures. Um, but that's a little bit of tax planning. But yeah, it's yours. I mean, it's the beauty. You worked up until 60, 59 and a half for that freedom.
1: You know, so you've also got, you know, you've got a traditional IRA, right? Where you're you're putting money in that versus a Roth. Explain that to us real quick so that we, we can understand what we're, what we're looking at here.
2: Yeah. So anything that's that, that is not Roth is considered pre-tax money. That means that you get a tax deduction to put it into your account today. And then you pay tax when you withdraw it. So easiest way to analogize that is, do you want to pay tax on the seed or do you want to pay tax on the crop? Right. And, you know, when people ask me that, my first question is, how good a farmer are you? Right. Um, if you're going to put money into a, you know, a, a mutual fund or, and and hope it earns you 5 to 7% for the next 20 years... You may be better off with the tax benefit today and and kick the can down the road to pay tax later. If you're going to invest and and go out and seek deals and and stay educated, they won't always be winners. But if you can get to that double digit average return, then you're almost always going to want to be in a Roth because you can prepay the tax. I mean, think about this. And and this is something that and I'm a huge advocate for the Roth. You know, Shannon, if I came to you today and said, Shannon, write me a $100,000 check today. And you won't have to file a tax return for 2023. Now, your decision making process is very simple. Will I pay the IRS more than 100 grand or will I not? If the answer is yes, you would trip over yourself to get me 100 grand. Why? Because you had a predefined, predetermined amount that you could pay tax on, and you can make that. Uh, then you knew what it would take to win the game. The IRS is doing that every single year with your IRA with a Roth. They're saying, Shannon, pay me four grand and you can take 20 grand of your pre-tax IRA and move it to a Roth, right? And now you got to ask yourself, can I earn more money on that 20 grand over the next 20 years than the four grand I'm paying in tax today? And when you start really boiling it down that way, nine out of 10 times, if you're a decent investor, pay the tax today. You'll never have a better opportunity than tax-free growth.
1: You know, but just like the first analogy about the gentleman who didn't who failed to buy the house because his daughter couldn't live there in a couple of years, a lot of people get so hung up on paying taxes now, right? That they'll do yep. anything to to alleviate that pressure. They don't want to pay it now. I'll pay it later. We'll invest it. You know, we'll just go with the traditional. What what do you think outside of the self-directed world? And you may not know this, but what do you think the, the popularity split is between the traditional and a Roth, just because of people's mindset around? I can't pay taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. So I'm going to load my traditional. So I don't have to claim that yeah. as income now. What do you think that split is? So
2: I, I don't know uh, to, to, to good a degree of certainty, but I do know a few years back, it was the first year ever that Roth contributions had surpassed traditional contributions.
1: See, so that's what, that would be exactly what I would have guessed because people just have this, it's not a phobia. It's It's not a fear. It's just a, a loathing of you know i don't want to pay yep. taxes so i will do anything that i can and i struggle with that for a long time because i kept thinking i don't want to pay it now not realizing that yes now is when you're going to pay it and it sucks but it's going to offset because you, you you've got 25 years between where you're at and where you're going for it to grow
2: yeah well i i love talking about taxes i, I first question i ask people and i'll i'll ask the audience uh you know, to to answer, you know, as they're listening to this, you know, and that is, do you like paying taxes? And if your answer is no, I would say you're a liar, or you don't understand what paying taxes is. Because I didn't ask if you like where the money goes. I didn't ask if you think, you know, <laughs> hey. these these folks in Washington are smart or not. That's not the question. I asked if you like paying taxes. Because if I asked this, the next question, which is, do you like making money? everybody's answer is yes. Right. Well, if you like making money, then you must like paying taxes, and you better learn to embrace it. Now, right. I, obviously, I'm on the side of, of deferral and elimination of taxes, right? Because that's yeah. important. But it all starts with if I had to choose pay taxes, you know, or make money or not pay taxes, I'm going with make money.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and that's, I think, where a lot of people break down that distinction, they don't like the activity of paying taxes, but they like the Activity of having funds around, right? When you really look at that and go, well, you really can't have one without the other. And to a large degree, you can. You know, we do a lot with tax strategists. We make sure that our tax bill is absolutely as low as possible. We use things like a Roth IRA. We use things like, you know, deferred sales trust. We do a lot of different things because we want to ensure that we have the ability to create what we need to and be able to you know, mitigate that tax as much as we can, like you, you know, but then there comes the point of the smart money says, you pay it now, you invest it now, you harvest it later at a much higher coefficient. And you've done that in a tax efficient way. So when people think about, you know, how they're going to do that, it's, it's amazing to me, the psychology of no, I hate paying taxes, or no, my daughter can't live there. So I'm not going to do it. Uh, And you know, looking at if, gosh, if the guy had invested before COVID, it wouldn't matter if his daughter was living there, you know, just not rent that room or something. But, you know, you really see how psychology plays into that and how, I wouldn't say that we're taught, but we're just kind of ingrained with the fact that nobody wants to pay them, but there's the right time and the wrong time to pay them. You know, there's the right things to do with pre-tax dollars and there's the wrong things to do with pre-tax dollars. And I think a lot of people miss that connection. When, When we talk about you know, the reasons why people would want to invest in real estate, you know, with their IRA, you you did a pretty good job of explaining that. And what are some of the most common things that you're seeing people invest with, with self-directed IRAs?
2: Yeah. So, you know, we got about $2 billion of assets um, spread over thousands of clients. We got a pretty good handle, you know, on kind of what the market's doing. We're seeing it really spaced out into four categories right one is real estate real estate is is uh you know what we would consider deeded or titled real estate assets so um this could be and and man I'll tell you one thing Shannon just just to, to slide over for a second I didn't realize how many different things people could buy to make money I nice. I, I just over the last 18 years when I mean, we have clients that own burial plots we have clients that own mineral rights under underwater where they grow clams and we have clients that own you know the the uh boat slips and I mean Obviously, you've got your traditional real estate, right? Single family, multifamily, that sort of thing. Um, but that's deeded real estate, domestic, international. They own title of some kind to, to a piece or parcel of property. The second category is on the lending side. And this has been the fastest growing category in, in, since I've been here. And can, And we're going to see another trend, I think, over the next few years where this will grow as well. Uh, but this is private debt and it's private debt of all different shapes and sizes. This is things like private or hard money to, you know, individual mortgages, to business lines of credit, to convertible debt. Uh, We've seen just every type of debt you could imagine.
1: Tax liens?
2: Uh, Tax liens we'd put in the other category, which is- is, you'll get to that in a (laughs) minute. Yeah, (laughs) we'll, we'll get to that, but it is kind of funny. It almost is a form of debt, ironically enough. The third is private equity and private equity really is growing- The fastest, because that's where a lot of these syndicated real estate deals um, technically are considered private equity, because your ownership is not real estate, it's into a fund or an asset. What I love about private equity is it's a way for people to capitalize on investments through the strength and power of others, whether it be, I'm investing in Shannon's business, I'm investing in a a syndication, right? It's kind of like buying a stock, right? You buy, you know, you may go buy JP Morgan, right, because of Jamie Dimon and his right. ability, right? Or you mentioned right. Peter Thiel earlier. And so you can invest a little bit around leadership. So I private equity is growing. And then the fourth category is that other, you know, this would be your cryptocurrencies, um, tax liens, uh, which we're starting to see more and more of lately, um, you know, tax deeds, tax liens, uh, that sort of thing all fall into that other camp.
1: You know, now it's making a lot more sense to me what you said earlier in the show, where you know, you're talking about let's talk about it's easier to talk about what you can't buy, right? The things you can't do because the 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 genre is really wide. Whose responsibility is it to make sure that we're buying something in that genre? Is it my responsibility because I'm directing you, or is it your responsibility because you're the custodian?
2: So it's it's about 99.1, right? And it's 99.1 where the onus is to you as the customer. Um, And the only reason I say one is because there are certain things that we see that we will reject, but it's not our job. When you open an account with any self-directed custodian, you will declare, acknowledge, and indemnify the custodian for any and all wrongdoing. And the reason for that is not because we want to hide behind a barrage of legal language is because I have no idea the, the, the totality of your deal. So for example, going back to that guy that couldn't rent the house out to his daughter, right? Well- If he buys a property and the names don't line up and it's an unrelated party, how would we ever know? If he's renting it to his daughter, but not telling us, how would we ever know? If his daughter is married and has a different last name or maybe, you know, how would we ever know? So it all fits into that camp of, you know, we don't have any responsibility because we simply can't. Um, I can't drive around. We have thousands of properties that our clients own. I can't drive around with a clipboard knocking on the door and checking IDs of, you know, who's residing in the property. So <laughs> it's uh, it is, it's, it's a, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And, you know, that's something that I have told many people over the years. I don't think that either this is the right tool or product for you, or if it is, we're not the right custodian because we, there are too many people that want to do it the right way. And and if your goal and objective is to skirt this, and I'm not talking about toe in the line, I'm a big fan of toe in the lines, Mm-hmm. But if your goal is to just tell me how to get around this, tell me how to get around this, tell me how to get around this, we're not going to be a great fit because you're likely going to stub your toe and we don't want any part of it.
1: Right. So we still, as 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 the director of the IRA, essentially the self-directed part, we still have that responsibility to vet the uh, investment, make sure it is what it is, make sure that everything's right then the syndicator or whoever private equity firm sends in the paperwork, you guys fill out the paperwork as it was us, but we still bear that responsibility. In doing that, um, it, it really puts the onus right where it should be, right? I mean, the, we're, we're the ones that are directing, it, right? So we need to be responsible for that and we need to understand that. But when, when we talk about how, how your guys are protected from that liability you know, you guys have that 1%, that 1% duty that says, hey, you know what? You're trying to buy a collectible car. We can't let you do that, right? So there is, but you guys also, you offer a lot of education on that. I mean, if someone wants to know more about how they can learn more about this, how are they going to go about that with you and your firm?
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you nailed education, right? That's exactly what people need. It's like driving a car, if you drive a car, you're responsible to know the rules of the road and the laws. And if you drive in a different state, you know, California, for example, you can't use a cell phone, right? So there's some things, no one's job that the the person that rents you the car, right? Or the toll booth operator, when you enter into the state, it's not their job, right? Right. You have to take that responsibility. It's no different in a self-directed account. You know, we can educate you and we can point you to all the areas of code and we can give you all the necessary interpretations, rules, guidance, structure, understanding. But at the end of the day, you are the one pulling the trigger and it is your job to ensure that you're staying within those confines. Um, But education is key. We offer free education. Uh, uh, unlimited quantities of it. And uh, I mean, we've got thousands of videos on our YouTube channel. So, you know, all of those represent ways. I I won't, you know, ignorance is not an excuse. You know, ignorance means the good news about ignorance, it's curable, right? Now, stupidity (laughs) is not, um, you know, unfortunately, but ignorance is. And, And we live in a day and age where, you know, you can literally with a cell phone, you have every single thing you want, need, and desire at your disposal from an educational standpoint, we're running out of excuses to say, I just didn't know.
1: Right. And for those of you that are listening in California, Jason, as a Floridian, did not say you can't use a cell phone as in you're unable, but the law doesn't allow you. Just So <laughs> I just want to put that, so before we get some hate mail on that, right, Jason? Oh, those guys in California, they can't use a cell phone. You, <laughs> you can, but again, you're not supposed to. So
2: just want- That's right. And I ask me how I know that. I learned that the hard way. Now, we, we more recently have some- Laws here in Florida on cell phone usage. Yeah, I got pulled over in California for having my, I was talking on a cell phone. And it was I was holding it up to my ear years ago. And, and apparently, uh, I was required to have a Bluetooth device. So I right. uh, learned that one the hard way.
1: Yeah, I, I also learned that lesson now that we're in confessional. But I think we should stop there, Jason, on the confessionals. <laughs> That's probably way more than, than our audience wants to know. But Jason, tell us how people can get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing at NewView, get these videos that you're talking about. Where can they find you?
2: Best, best ways, you know, just to start on our website, it's newviewtrust.com, spelled with a U, uh, New View Trust. Um, from there, you can get to our YouTube channel or any of our socials. There's a, a tremendous amount of content. Uh, we we too host a podcast, and, and Shannon's been kind enough to be a guest on there. And, uh, so there's all kinds of great content, uh, you know, spread out a bunch uh, amongst a bunch of different mediums. Uh, but all of
1: that's available and and, and uh, able to get connected through the website. Awesome. Well, Jason, I appreciate you being on the rundown and helping us understand what is the benefit of a self directed. A sad to see that so many so few people actually use self-directed when it's such an awesome tax tool and one that we recommend all the time. And guys, if you're having trouble spelling new view, just look at the sign behind Jason. It's pretty clear. Uh, if you still can't spell it, we probably ought to talk about that analogy that Jason talked about between stupidity and ignorance. Uh, but uh, anyway, guys, thanks for being on the Real Estate Rundown and checking us out. If you like this, be sure and subscribe. Uh, you can find us at shannonrobnett.com for more information. And Jason, once again, thanks for being a guest. Hey, Shannon, thanks for having me.
0: That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.